Hey guys, in this episode, I'm excited to bring you Anastasia Zinchenko, an old fitness friend of mine. You may have seen our mutual video in the past in which we talked about diet success strategies and working on your mindset for successful dieting. If you didn't, I'll link to that in the show notes. But in this episode, we talked about her recent book, which is a book with the name Food Obsession. And in that book, she talked through her journey in fixing her food-related issues, as well as strategies she recommends for people people who want to overcome their food-related negative habits. This was a cool and, I think, productive discussion. I read her book and there were definitely cool concepts in there which you may find valuable, so I do recommend that you check it out if you're currently struggling with problems like this. Before we get into this episode though, I just quickly want to tell you that some really exciting stuff are happening in sustainable self-development land as of recent times, and as of lately, the sustainable self-development group has been brought to life more than ever. We have over a thousand awesome members and have daily discussions over some of the most interesting nutrition and training concepts. Also, the Norwegian mastermind himself, Berge Fagerli, has gotten on board not long ago, and he's spreading his knowledge there too. And as of late, we've been doing these really awesome Q&A sessions with Berge in the group where we answer some of the best nutrition and training questions that have come in the group. So if you have not done so already, then be sure to go to facebook.com slash sustainable self-development and join the group. Also, you might want to know that Berge and I are currently working on a really epic training template which will allow you to get, in our estimation, the best possible training stimulus without having to spend endless hours in the gym and pounding yourself with a bajillion sets every week and burning yourself out. And if this is something that sounds interesting to you, then head over to sustainableselfdevelopment.com and you can claim a 20% discount on this upcoming training template. All right, that's enough of the shameless plugging for now. And with that, let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I'm really excited to talk with somebody that was on my channel before when we did a, a webinar together and we were talking about dieting strategies and diet success strategies and overeating and that sort of things and uh, this person has come a long way since then and she's currently doing her contest prep so there will be lots of cool topics to talk about because she also wrote a book about managing overeating issues and overcoming diet related mindset type challenges and this person is Anastasia Zinchenko I kind of butchered her name but I kind of did my best so, um, Anastasia, how are you doing? And uh, thank you for being on. Hey, I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be at your podcast. Yeah, um, my pleasure. And uh, so, first of all, let's start with what things are up to these days. So, you're currently doing a contest prep and you've been doing it for quite a while. I see you documenting it on Instagram a lot. So, how are things going on that front? Everything going, is going really well. I started my contest prep in January. So I'm dieting now for about half a year. I lost about 11 kilograms, maybe 12 kilograms. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. I will do my first show in about six weeks. And then I want to improve from one show to the next and continue competing until the end of the year. And then we'll see what happens. Then, of course, I will go have an off season and probably more competition next year. Right, that that that's really cool. And um, so, uh, are are you? How how did you find the contest prep process so far? Um, we hear a lot about the dark periods that people experience during contest prep. Was it? Did you have your fair share of those, or was it a pretty smooth process so far for you? 
for me, it was a very smooth process, psychologically at least. Uh, my body usually retains lots of water and plateaus for a really long time. So on some months, or even like I had plateaus that were taking for over two months. And for me, it was just like, okay, keep going. What other choice do you have? You know, you stick to your macros, you know, you're in calorie deficit, you know, you're moving up. Just keep going. And then I had sudden weight drops of a few kilograms. And uh, then I started plateauing again. So for me, my weight loss usually happens in a stepwise fashion. And I also know what factors influences influence that. For example, like high stress level. I know when I'm stressed or have lots of work to do, my weight usually plateaus. When I'm chilled and happy, my weight drops. So having all the knowledge about my body and how my body responds to dieting I acquired in the past years also really helps me to stay on track and just, you know, keep going and not getting discouraged. But from the psychological point of view, it was the best contest prep I've ever done because I've always done lots of weight loss diets if it was just i'm also competitive powerlifter for powerlifting to get into weight class or just because i wanted to look better or lose some fat so i have a lot of experience with dieting and up to now it was like the honestly the best uh, weight loss process i've ever done just because my mental state was real or is still really stable and is on point that is awesome and um you know, it's it's an interesting journey you have because when we did our webinar on diet success strategies and how to manage overeating, I think that was a point when we were sort of on the brink of a pretty big turning point or a big turning point was about to come in both of our lives. So we were talking about how to overcome certain challenges, but I think that was a point where a lot of the um, kind of disordered eating and overeating type issues were still pretty recent in both of our pasts. And um, we were very much speaking from personal experience on that webinar. So maybe talk a little bit about your, your story. Like where do, you, where do you actually come from and what is your history with dieting and mindset around uh, nutrition? Yes, that's a really good point because last year when we spoke, it was actually just before a big turning point was there in my life. And it wasn't just a point like uh, something that happened on one day or in one week. It was a really long process. I had many painful months in uh, the last year. I had depressions twice, so I fallen twice into a depression. And it was also because I finally decided to resolve the underlying issues for my uh, overeating or occasional loss of, loss of control. And that's also what I see with many of my clients. There are often underlying issues that are somewhere in the childhood, maybe, or in teenager years. That's the case for most of the people. And once you overcome these issues and understand why you overeat, what are the real triggers? And I don't mean by real triggers, oh, there's so much food on the table. What I mean by real triggers is just numbing the feeling, numbing the negative emotions. And once I understood where my negative emotions and the things I wanted to numb with food came from, then everything just, then literally everything changed within three days. So I needed some time to understand everything and to dig really deep. Then when I wrote my book, I needed some time to write it down because I also put lots of my personal experience in. And then after I actually finished the last page of my book, my eating behavior completely changed within three days. And uh, up to then, I was mostly like the type of person who loves sweet stuff. So I could eat maybe just one savory meal a day and all the other things were sweet. And sweet is also something that for many people, not for all, triggers the reward mechanism in the brain and makes one feel better. 
So there was like before kind of this constant state where I didn't feel good enough. There was a constant state where I was frustrated. And once I resolved and, you know, brought down where all this frustration came from for, you know, my entire life, then, you know, my body responded to, to it like, okay, I'm hungry. I want to eat something. Do I want to eat my normal sweet meal? Oh, no, I want just to get some normal food and like something that is like vegetable-based, legume-based, protein-based. So I'm I'm vegan. That's why like my major food choices are actually like legumes or some, you know, vegan high protein dishes. And uh, it was like a really game changer for me when I listened to my body and my body told me, no, no, you don't want to have this all the sweet stuff anymore. You just want to have like normal food to fuel your body, to get rid of your hunger, and then you're good to go. Actually, I can start with the entire background with my story. And it goes back into probably the time when I was 14 or 15 years old. Uh, at that time, I was actually like a pretty normal teenager. I was always interested in nutrition. I was uh, always doing lots of sport. I wanted to be fit and healthy. But then at this time, something happened, like a person who was like really, really close to me abandoned me. And uh, this had kind of complete psychological shift in my brain. That's when I started getting anxiety, depressions, and that's also when my eating disorder started. And uh, now I can, you know, look back and analyze it. But at that point, as a teenager, I wasn't aware of the thing. I wasn't aware of what was happening. I wasn't aware of the psychology. I wasn't aware, you know, how my brain responded to certain events. Um, first, I became anorexic. I didn't feel good enough about myself. And it wasn't, body image was just one thing. It was also about uh, my mental state or like my kind of uh, how smart I am. I never felt smart enough. I thought, okay, I, I, I'm just too stupid. And the funny thing about it is, and how powerful like our own mindset is, and you know, telling us a certain story. I was always uh, the best in my class. Also later in life, I've uh, studied chemistry. I graduated with honors. I got the prize from the German Chemical Society for outstanding academic achievements. I was at elite universities like Caltech. Many people know from Big Bang Theory. Uh, I've done my PhD at Cambridge University, also an elite university, but still I didn't feel smart enough. And uh, I think I always also tried to get more of this kind of academic achievement just to feel better. But in reality, it was just one of this, you know, underlying issues I talked about after, you know, what happened when I was a teenager, I just didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel smart enough. And of course, it had also reflected on my body image. I always wanted to be thinner. So when I was a teenager, I was kind of starving myself most of the time. Then, of course, I was upset after some parties or events where I was eating more. Uh, I was doing endurance sports uh, for most of my life until I started lifting. So I was like running, swimming, mountain biking, maybe for three hours a day, eating a very low calorie diet. And uh, when I was, oh, and another thing that kind of also triggered this under eating was that I danced rock and roll. You know, that's like kind of this dance where you have to throw women up, they make saltos and so uh, all this kind of acrobatic figures. And then it's also good to be as light as possible. So for me, it was also the thing, okay, I need to lose more weight to become better in the sport I'm doing. That was like another factor. And then there was a turning point, maybe when I was 18 or 19, I'm not even sure how, you know, it happened. Maybe it was the time when I was actually happy with my body weight and I was like, okay, I can just start, you know, eating more. 
And then I started eating and I have lost control. Once I started eating, I couldn't stop. I was overeating and I totally couldn't understand it. I was so frustrated. I gained weight. And I was like, you know, how the hell could I keep control all the previous years with just eating? Maybe it was uh, like a yogurt and two pieces of bread and a few vegetables a day to now not being able to have the control over my eating behavior. And uh, it didn't take long. And then I became bulimic. So I was like, okay, even if I'm, you know, overeating and you have this binges every few days, I want, you know, still lose weight. I want to get rid of this food. So I became bulimic and it took probably about one or two years. And then there was again such a switch where I was like, okay, I can't continue like that. I'm so unhappy. I can't look at myself in the mirror. And it was also something that is kind of real psychological thing when you avoid all the mirrors, when you can't just look at yourself in the mirror because you find yourself and your body disgusting. And I was like, okay, I can't continue like this. And then I tried to introduce a more regular eating pattern. I tried to, you know, control my serving sizes. Um, it got better for a while. So from then on, all my kind of eating issues weren't as severe as they have been before. It was like, okay, it wasn't something what you can really describe as chronically, you know, be, being chronically eating disordered or having disordered eating behavior. But still, all the time when there was stressful times, I started overeating. All the time when something happened, you know, it wasn't a problem for me to eat one kilogram of peanut butter in two days. When I had to do, you know, a really stressful project or write up a research paper, writing is in general a very stressful task for me. And uh, so it kind of continued for more than 10 years where I had periods where I was like, okay, I have everything under control. But then when something stressful happened, everything went down the roof uh, and uh, I just started overeating, kind of binge eating. I wasn't bulimic anymore, but still it wasn't a state I was very happy about. Then I think it was like more or less last year, everything got already better. So I, I became a coach. I applied lots of strategies on myself. I knew the triggers that trigger my overeating. I knew what should I do. I shouldn't have any dangerous food at home. I, you know, shouldn't be too stressed. When I'm stressed, I should go for a walk. I knew that I should have enough movement. You know, all the things that kind of reduced occasional overeating. But it still didn't solve the kind of underlying issues. You know, I imagine it's like, you know, building a house. And if you have like a really faulty fundament that like can't hold the house, it doesn't matter how nicely you build the house, the house will break down after something happens, after a storm or a strong wind or whatever. So I saw my life like this. It's like, okay, when everything works great, when everything is perfect, my diet is totally on track, I do great. But then when something stressful happens in life, okay, my, my house breaks down. And yeah, I've done actually lots of self-psychoanalysis where I really listened to my thoughts and my emotions. Okay, something happened. I got like really into these negative emotions and then I got this urge to, okay, I need to get something to eat, something that is rewarding, something that is high in calories. I was like, okay, I just want to escape. I just want to numb my feelings. Okay, will it help me? Yeah, it will help me maybe for 10 minutes while I'm eating this food, but then I will feel even worse. So, okay, I need to have a sustainable solution to this problem. And um, yeah, so to cut a long story short, I kind of analyzed all my thoughts, all my emotions, then also dig deep in my past and found some painful events that probably made me feel not good enough as a child or as a teenager, then looked at it from now an adult perspective. It was like, okay, 
everyone has their own issues. Even if, you know, some of the grown-ups, like my parents, made me feel as I'm not good enough, it wasn't just about, you know, me and not being good enough. It was just maybe because they lost the patience, because they had a stressful day. That's why they reacted like this. And once I understood it, it also helped me to reduce all these negative emotions I had. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, um, I was pretty upfront about it on my channel before that I've been in some pretty dark places uh, in terms of uh, all these issues they just talked about. Probably not to the same extent, like I didn't uh, struggle with bulimia and things like that, but I pretty definitely had some pretty rough periods. So I'm, I'm wondering, uh, when you mentioned that it all changed within a matter of a week or something, what, what happened during that week that really helped you? <laughs> that, 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 that's a good question. It was like really thinking about it for long enough first like finding all the underlying reasons because during the last year every time when i thought oh okay i found something okay now i have the solution now okay everything will be fine something else turned up and i think it took me like a year to find every single event in my past that made me feel not good enough not worthy enough not worthy of love not you know just not being as good as other people are and uh, once I, you know, writing down is also like therapy, it helped. So when I wrote down my book, I also, you know, based lots of things on my personal experience or experience of my clients. And I kind of over, you know, it was like a therapy to think about everything and write it down and um, overcome it. And the last page of my book, it was actually where I describe that Actually, all my life, what I was looking for, it wasn't actually like a super dieting strategy that makes me uh, lose weight and stay on track. No, it was just the thing like looking into the mirror and telling to myself, I'm good enough. No, no matter what, no matter what my body weight is, no matter what uh, uh, achievements I have in my career or in academia, the only thing I need is just my own recognition, not recognition of other people or other people telling me that I'm good enough. No. I just need to look into the mirror and tell myself I am good enough and everything else I want to achieve is extra. If I want to go for a competition, yes, go for it. It's fun, but it's extra. It doesn't determine how good you are or how good you should feel about yourself. I think just once your mental state is in the right place, then you can go for higher goals. Right. And how do you think that this this helped you to overcome the overeating type of issues? Like, uh, where, where, do you, where do you see the connection to be? Well, um, the connection is that usually overeating or, you know, uncontrolled eating, I think one of the major, it, it was like a tool for me in the past. Uh, one scenario was like to boost my mental performance because I used to work crazy long hours, uh, like 90, up to 19 hours a day in the lab. And once you work throughout the night, several you know weeks in a row, you can't just stay awake. You just need and like caffeine and caffeine and anything. They, they they really don't help in my case. So for me, the only tool to stay awake was constant eating. And uh, you know by realizing, okay, I don't need to push myself and you know to kill myself just because I want to prove that I'm good enough. I also now try not to work in the evenings. Of course, I still work some evenings when necessary, but it's not like I try. In the past, I used to try to work all the time. Every few minutes, three minutes, I was working. So now it's like, no, you just take a rest. You need to rest as well. So now, first thing, I don't push myself to work when my body is tired and I actually need sleep. This is one thing. And the other thing was, it was kind of numbing 
numbing the thoughts. Because imagine if you think all the time that you aren't good enough. Okay, there's everyone is better than me. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. It's a huge psychological stress. And by eating or just searching for food or getting some food and eating it, you just give another task to your brain. So your brain doesn't need to deal with the thought that you are not good enough. And also then, afterwards, all the other negative thoughts come up. Oh, why did I overeat? Why couldn't I stick to my diet? It's again something that occupies your brain. Then you don't need to face the fact that you think that you aren't good enough. And, uh, you know, once I had kind of this real realization, okay, you know, I'm, I'm good enough. Everything else is just extra. You know, if I want to do something, it's okay. If not, then not. I'm, 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 I'm worthy no, no matter what happens. I didn't need to numb those voices in my head that were telling me that I'm not good enough. Right. No, absolutely. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, it does. It does. Um, yeah. So, so maybe this is a good segue because in in your case, it was it almost sounds like a way of dealing with work stress, which was a big trigger for you in a way. Um, yes. Yeah. And or I mean, it's more complex than that because it ties into self esteem as well. But still, uh, kind of um, the need to feel like. Uh, or you, feeling like you need to to prove yourself through your work was a big trigger. It sounds like, and um, yeah, and also I actually distinguish things like self worth and self confidence because I don't think it's the same. Self worth, it's like if you think if you're worthy enough, my self worth was really low, but I had high self confidence in certain areas. For example, if I was an expert in a certain field, I could stand. I, I've done lots of teaching in the past. I could stand in front of a class with self confidence and teach them the stuff or the same with lifting. You know, if I know a lot about lifting, if I'm a power lifter, I could self-confidently explain someone in the gym how the person has to perform the lifts. That's why I think it's also like kind of a tricky thing because many people who have also high self-confidence because they're just experts or like really knowledgeable in the area can still have a low self-worth. Yeah. And, and um, so I'm wondering in, so when you started writing your book, uh, which is called a food obsession, right? And this is about uh, the topic of dealing with, with issues around overeating and uh, mindset issues around dieting. When you decided to start writing this up, did that kind of coincide with you starting out with your contest prep? Um, well, actually, I started my... Actually, I wanted to do an, a contest last year. So I started a contest prep last year in summer. And then when I've noticed so the first, I don't know, two months went really, really well. It was, everything was great. But then lots and lots of stressful events occurred when I've noticed, okay, now the things start going wrong. And that's when I stopped prepping. When I made the decision, it's like, okay, I'm not in the mental, in the mental place I should be at to do a contest prep. I will just stop it. And that's when I started dealing like excessively with most of the underlying issues where I was like, okay, if you want to do contest prep, you have to solve out your, you know, all the stuff. You, you need to find the reasons why you behave in a certain way. And once you solved all the psychological issues, then you can do contest prep. And actually, it was kind of something similar for my first contest prep I've done four years ago. I told myself the minute when I noticed that my eating behavior goes off towards like more like the direction of eating disorders, I stop prepping, no matter what. When I notice my kind of mental health starts suffers, I'm stopping this prep. Uh, so the prep now I actually started after I have written everything after I was like also already like in a good mental state. Right. Okay. So um, 
What, uh, what, what kind of inspired you to write this book? Was it uh, you, only your own journey or uh, have, you have you collected also feedback from people you worked with or issues that you've seen with other people? Yes, yes. It was mostly because of the people I worked with. Because I work also with many people who have a history of eating disorders or who recover from eating disorders. So I'm not a trained psychologist. I'm a chemist and I'm a biochemist. But the feedback I got from my clients was that the things I tell them, the strategies I use for them, work so much better than anything a therapist gave them in the past. Because several people have been also to therapy before. And the feedback I got was like, wow, you know, what the things you do, they really changed my life. They changed my mindset. And um, I think the reason for this was just because I could relate to it. Oh, yeah. I was there myself. I can feel with them. And I know what worked for me. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And this is, I think, a huge issue is that a lot of people who I interacted also with people who came to the recognition that probably they should seek professional help and go to a therapist or a psychologist. But when they actually did, luckily not all the time, but in certain cases, they, they were just disappointed because the person couldn't relate to them. Like they couldn't feel how it is like to try to be lean. And even if you're already lean, still trying to be a little bit leaner and still not being completely satisfied with the way you look, even when you're, you know, because a psychologist sees a, a guy or a girl who is pretty athletic, uh, has a decent body composition, not overweight. So they don't understand why this person has the, the goal of trying to be leaner or anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Or also for cases like overeating and bulimia, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, here's your meal plan. Just, you know, stick to a regular or like not meal, they don't give a meal plan, but they're like, just still to stick to a regular eating pattern. You have your breakfast, lunch, dinner, and maybe a snack. You know, why, you know, why do you overeat? Why do you need to have something in between? You know, just stick to normal meals. Yeah. And they can't understand kind of this negative driving force that makes people, you know, bench or, you know, do things they shouldn't be doing. Right, right, absolutely. Cool. So maybe let's get um, in, into your book a little bit. So you wrote this book, which is called Food Obsession. Um, is there is there maybe like one kind of underlying message that you were trying to project with this book or that you were trying to communicate with this book? Or it's um, is it better viewed as a list of strategies that people can follow in different situations? That, that's a little list of strategies. And actually this book is written like collection of single articles with keywords at the beginning of each article. So actually, you know, not all the people have the same issues. So the people can actually pick the issues that apply to them. Right. You know, someone who struggles with stress eating doesn't necessarily struggle with uh, overeating during social events. Right. And for me, when I wrote it up, I, like it wasn't in the order. It is now in the book. After a while, I had just lots and lots of articles that actually didn't really fit together. And I sat down and was like, okay, how am I going to structure it? And I just put it into a new structure that made sense for me. Right. Well, I, I would still say, like, uh, upon reading it through, that there is one really important message here that kind of, kind of overarches everything. And that is you have to kind of work with the instinctual kind of being that lives in your head. And that a lot of these things, some things can be overcome by rational thought and by kind of emotional management, like in the given situation. But there is a big, big message that goes towards sort of working with your own laziness. I think there's even a chapter in your book that is called your own laziness is the only thing you can rely on, right? Yes, exactly. The only It's also something I tell to my clients. The only thing you can rely on is your own laziness. Because, you know, if you have cookies at home and you're tired in the evening and want to have some comfort and reward, you just go into the kitchen and just grab the cookies and eat them. 
However, if you don't have the cookies at home, if you have to bake them first, you're probably too lazy to bake cookies after a really hard working day. Yeah, and yeah, I, I have also like different characters in this book, like the inner Neanderthal. It's like the inner ancient human kind of, you know, the species uh, that lived maybe in the forest several thousands of years ago. And it kind of still lives in our head because, you know, we still, our bodies are still kind of designed to try to survive, to try to be safe, to get enough rest, to have social interactions. And when you are tired, when your, you know, rational brain is tired, then the Neanderthal may take over. And that's why, like, most of the people, they go off track with their diet in the evening. It's not like in the morning when they have breakfast. It's mostly in the evening when they're, like, super tired. And then they don't have the willpower kind of to to resist temptations. And uh, the Neanderthal takes over and just starts mindlessly eating. I was also thinking it's kind of a more entertaining thing to write the book this way with different characters. There are, like, also Darth Vader who is like really evil and this, he's kind of the personification of depressions of like this really negative side of eating disorders. And uh, also there's a binge eating monster that um, is a symbol for all the negative emotions that makes many people overeat, like uh, being unhappy or not feeling good enough and things like that. Yeah. 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 And I, I think uh, on the evening overeating point, I think, it's not only decision fatigue and just being tired, but I think it's also just the lack of structure there that kind of characterizes the evening hours. Because like you said, in the morning, people wake up, then they leave to work. At work, they have their lunch. It's just pretty little room for screwing up and, and, and overeating during those times because everything is ruled by by other rules, essentially. And in the evening, it's you have basically complete freedom, and that's what's, what messes up uh, people. So... Yeah, that, that's the same thing with the weekends. Like many people struggle it to stick to their be- uh, meal plan at the weekends just because, you know, they can do whatever they want. They don't have a fixed structure at the weekends. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So shall we maybe just, just address some like a couple of common things? Like, for example, what do you recommend for someone who struggles with specific cravings? Um, specific food cravings are, are really common when someone's trying to stick to a, a lower calorie, lower palatability sort of diet, which is sort of the... I mean, to some extent, that has to be the the staple diet that someone will follow if they want to have good body composition year-round. So um, specific food cravings, what do you advise people in general for situations like that? Okay. I have actually a chapter also in the book that speaks about food cravings and also that food cravings are like a mosquito bite. And I usually distinguish between food cravings. Um Okay, there can be food cravings like hunger when you just didn't have enough food on your plate. For, for example, if you cut down on serving sizes uh, when you diet and don't fill it up with veggies, you just crave food because you're hungry. This problem is really easy to solve. Just eat more veggies. Um, other food cravings are like psychological food cravings. And also then I distinguish between different types. Uh, number one is you crave a specific food. Like, okay, you see this donut and you want to have this donut. You aren't interested in other junk food. You just want to see uh, to have this donut. And then it's also interesting to look at the lifestyle and the past. For example, many people crave foods, or I used to crave food in the past that I kind of connected with love. For example, something my mom gave me when I was a child. And I got the specific food craving. And I was like, okay, what is it about? When did I eat this food? Okay, I ate this food as a child. 
So actually, then I could establish a connection that what I was craving was like my mom's love. And then I would just call my mom and speak to my mom instead. Then people can crave food because they see it on social media because they haven't tried it before and it's exciting. And, um, you know, we always need some kind of excitement in the life because otherwise the life, everyday life would be just super boring. So the people just crave more excitement. That's why they want to go and try this new food that a new restaurant offers somewhere in town. Then there can be just food cravings for any high calorie food like chocolate or, you know, whatever. This can be also related to a mood state. When you feel down, when you feel sad, when you feel stressed, you just want to rise your happiness hormones. So you just crave food that makes you feel better. Also similar scenarios, if you usually have chips in the evening lying on the couch and watching TV, then you're tired on the way home or somewhere at work. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get some chips, even so you aren't really hungry. And it's like, okay, why do you want to get chips? And then get the connection. Okay, I usually have chips when I'm relaxing. So what I want to have is actually relaxation. Then, okay, how can I get relaxation right now? And then you can, you know, just take a short break, take a short walk, do some breathing exercises and so on and so on. Um... Then there's another type of food cravings I had to face a lot recently. And those are nutrient cravings on a weight loss diet when your calories decrease and you might crave certain nutrients. And then usually I get into the state of low mood. Uh, I'm not focused on my work. I'm not really motivated. So actually for me, uh, symptoms of nutrient cravings like nutrients, carbs, fat or protein usually are very similar to symptoms of overtraining. But if I still increase weight, I lift in the gym, I know that I'm definitely not overtrained. And for me, when I feel this way, I usually analyze. It's like, okay, what food do I want to have right now? And then I go through, imagine all kinds of carbohydrate-rich food. Is it something I want to have? Okay, no. Then I imagine all kinds of fatty foods like nuts. Is it something I want to have? Okay, no. Then I imagine all kinds of high-protein foods. And then if I notice, oh, that's something I really want to have right now. Then I go for a kind of smallish serving size. Usually in my experience, maybe 200 calories of this nutrient are enough to get rid of this nutrient cravings for at least one week. So for me, if I notice like the slow mood state, oh, I would like to, to eat something, but there's nothing specific. And I think of different nutrient groups. For me, in most cases, it's protein. Because I usually try not to eat, kind of to overeat on protein so that I still get enough of my veggies in, enough healthy fat. So, but my body seems to be used to a higher protein intake. At least once a week, I kind of get this protein cravings. Then I drop my carbs, I drop my fat and get more proteins this day. Uh, for some of my clients, uh, those are carbohydrate cravings where they are like in a really terrible state where they email me every day. It's like, oh, I feel so bad. I, you know, I can't think, I can't perform. And then after some try and error, I run with their experiments where they get different food and we look how they respond to them. And we see, okay, okay your well-being and performance and everything increases uh, if you get more carbs. Okay, then let's put some higher carb days in. We drop fat, we drop protein. And this way you can function like a normal person again. It has to be adjusted on a very individual level. And in terms of uh, carb cravings, I also made the experience that kind of the Carb types that, from the dieting point of view, make more sense doesn't often satisfy the cravings. For example, if you would go for some fruits that are high in water and high in fiber, like strawberries, they usually don't satisfy the cravings. The people continue craving carbs until they get a serving size of starch. 
That's why usually I found that starches help better to get rid of carbohydrate cravings. And again, it can be just a 200 calorie serving size. It's not like what many people think, oh, I need to have this huge cheat day or huge cheat meal out. No, it's just, you know, a serving size of this concentrated nutrient just once until your cravings disappear. And then, you know, you can function like a normal human again. Yeah. And, and have you found that carb cravings are higher or, or more common in, in kind of stressful situations or, or when someone is sleep deprived and stuff like that? That's, that's what I, it's not even a carb craving. I just find that when I'm more well rested, my stress is low, then I can much better adhere to a higher fat, lower carb approach. And when I, when I, when I'm sleep deprived, then I mean, it's, it's literally eating, even eating like some fruit salad, strawberries, or even if it's low calorie, it just makes me feel kind of happier. Yeah, because, you know, carbs make you feel happy. Yeah. <laughs> or like happy. There was also research on this topic, you know. Carbs can, in theory, in theory rise also happiness hormones in the brain. Also, actually, there was a research paper that suggested that high protein makes you feel worse high protein diet because um, BCAA interacts or impede tryptophan absorption in the brain which is a precursor for happiness hormone mm -hmm. that's why like tryptophan rich food uh, should be something you should you know try to implement if you struggle with depressions and actually carbs they have a similar effect they help tryptophan to go to the brain and take um, brain chain or like other proteins out of the bloodstream um, but yeah, in, in general, like carbs is something that, yeah, makes more pe makes many people pretty happy. Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, my personal experience says that you can, I mean, obviously it can be a very slippery slope if you, if you get into the mindset of, okay, whenever I'm stressed, I'm just going to eat more carbs. Sure. Like that can be a slippery slope, but just within limits, you can actually make use of that sort of, uh, I mean, you can give into that to a certain extent, like you can just go into a little bit of lower fat, higher carb phase. Yes, yes. For me personally, when I realize, okay, my day is totally screwed up, I'm like in low mood, I can't focus on work. And I realize, okay, that's about a certain food crave or like nutrient craving. I still try to hit my calorie intake. Okay, maybe I can go, I go slightly over on calories, but then I will, you know, add more activities this day. And uh, shift my macronutrient ratios. It's like, why the hell should I suffer? I will just get, you know, for me, it's like 90% protein. So I'm usually very good on a low-carb diet. When I'm dieting, my carbohydrate intake is about 100 grams a day, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less on certain days. But even if I'm in a maintenance phase, I rarely go over 180 gram carbs a day just because I prefer high-protein high protein food more or like high-protein, high-fat food more. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really cool. And um, one thing that before I forget, possibly the my favorite thing that I read in your your ebook is um, the the concept of whenever you make a decision about food or some diet related decision, you're kind of you sh you shift two parallel universes, or you, sh you oh, shift yeah. you shift the equation towards either one of those. Like you have a a universe in which you're lean and healthy and happy, and another one in which you're not lean unhealthy and unhappy and every decision is shifting the the reality picture towards either one of those universes a little bit you want to talk about that a little bit yes 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 uh yeah it, it is in the chapter why tomorrow never happens and it was something that 
really bothered me for years. It was like, okay, today I messed up my diet. Oh, tomorrow I will sell it all over again. I make a new diet plan. Oh, yeah, tomorrow everything will be good. Okay, maybe next day everything is a bit better, but then the day after everything, you know, goes uh, wrong again. I was like, okay, why does this, doesn't it ever work? And it's because we expect that we are a completely different person tomorrow, but tomorrow we are still the same. However, it also depends on our mindset and how we see ourselves. It's like tomorrow or our future, it's full of parallel universes. And these parallel universes depend on our actions now or towards which parallel universe we are moving. For example, if I make good food choices today, I move towards the lean parallel, the lean universe. If I eat lots of junk today, I move towards the obese universe. So, and for many people, they often procrastinate and like the decision making or changes until tomorrow. But actually, the real time when you have to start is now, because each action you do now determines your future outcome. And I find it really important to have the certainty, because if you are uncertain if a diet works, then it's more difficult to stick to it. If you are certain, okay, what I'm doing now will have an effect on the future, then you're more likely to do it. You know, it is really amazing if you get like a constant feedback that something works. For example, if you're on a weight loss diet, you step on scale every morning and uh, the numbers get uh, smaller. However, considering that uh, most people plateau at least for a few days during a weight loss diet, up to now I had just one client who had like a completely linear weight loss. Like he literally lost like, I don't know, 100 grams or how much, 100 to 200 grams every day, I could literally put a straight line into his weight loss progress. But he's an outlier. He's a total outlier. It doesn't apply to 99% of the people. And, um, you know, for him, it was kind of easier to stay on track than for other people. He had the certainty. Okay, if I stick to my diet now, my weight will go down tomorrow. Oh, I stick to my diet now, tomorrow my weight goes down. But for most people, if you don't get this constant feedback, then there's lots of uncertainty. And uncertainty is something that makes decision-making and action so much harder. It's like, you know, analysis paralysis. And, um, you know, in my opinion, it's like, if you have the certainty, okay, there are so many parallel universes. In one of them, I am like the perfect version of myself. I am lean, I am muscular, I am, you know, whatever you want to be. And the other ones where I'm not as close to the desired goal or body composition, then it's easier to act. It's like by doing the right things now, I'm going towards the best version of me, towards this universe. I find this is kind of a helpful tool to bring more certainty into the entire process. Yeah, and not to mention when you don't actually have short-term goals to begin with, like when you're in a lean gaining phase or you're at maintenance or something, then it's that, that's when a lot of people, I think, face the issue. I mean, I talked about this a bajillion times on the podcast that when you're dieting, like you said, you step on the scale every morning, to me at least, it's always an exciting thing. Like I step on the scale, like did I hit a weekly low? And when I'm gaining or in a maintenance phase, or at least this was my, my number one biggest issue, it's like what, what should motivate me day to day to do the right things? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a tricky one to nail. And I think that's when often the answer is, Maybe you don't have anything that motivates you day to day. You have a big picture goal, but that's a little bit too big to motivate yourself every day. You just have habits and systems that you can rely on and that those are the things that are going to save you uh, from, from screwing. Yes, definitely. You know, it's such a huge, huge pool of different tools. 
And they're also like, if one tool works for you now, it doesn't mean that the same tool will work for you tomorrow. I apply to myself my own like diet training, motivation, all the time, different tools. Right. You know, things I've heard somewhere. Okay, so there are some days I need to push through. There are some days when I need to relax more. And I try to make the most rational decision possible based on the current situation. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to throw a difficult question on you. And feel free to tell me if there is no answer to it. But I'll, I'll try to try to be helpful and, and first give my own take on this. Um, because the, basically the question if question is, even though it's a list of strategies and there's it's a huge, huge pool of different tools that you can use, whether there was something that you still see as one of the biggest keys to kind of dieting success. And, and for me personally, what this was is, you know, uh, over a year ago when I started, you know, I met a person, I got into a relationship, I um, started being much more social. And all of a sudden, I just found myself in this completely different world compared to what I was in before. And in that world, it was just so much easier and almost, almost the obvious thing to do to do the right things nutritionally. Like I didn't have these day-to-day -day struggles and dilemmas because I just didn't think about my diet in the first place. And the whole thing just got into the back of my mind and I just lost interest in food altogether. And that's when I realized that um, to some extent you need to find other obsessions in life and just things that you can really just occupy your mind with and keep yourself excited put the whole dieting thing on the automatic, like on the back burner, and just do it sort of in a series of automatic steps. And when you can do that, then the whole thing is just so much easier. And for me, probably that is the number one key thing. Uh, but have you found something like that, which even though there are all these cool tools, that is like one overarching thing that should rule everything? Is there something like that for you? I know what you mean. And also... Like in one of the chapters where I described that we are social beings and uh, social interactions are so important. Actually, when you isolate yourself during a diet, then you are likely to overeat at some point just because you are isolated and uh, lonely and you need to, you know, get somewhere your happiness from. And, um, you know, it was something what you mentioned I was thinking about for a while. I think it's important to strike a balance. Because if you just get too into another, you know, you shouldn't be too obsessed about your diet and overthinking because uh, it will just go crazy. However, you shouldn't be so obsessed with something else that you lose your dieting goal out of your sight. So it should be like a really healthy balance between all the other things that are important, like social interactions, partner, maybe your hobbies, maybe your work. You know, for everyone, it's something different. And while still keeping your dieting and body composition goals uh, in your mind. But if you ask me what is the most important thing, I think most important thing is just consistency and keeping going. Even if you have a setback, if something, you know, you go out to eat more than you should, it's okay. Just go back on track right away. You know, it's not like, oh, I ate too much. Okay, now I can just continue eating. And I think this like all or nothing mindset is like really dangerous. And I had it myself and I see it with so many people. So once, you know, someone offers you a cookie, you eat the cookie and then, oh, I ate this cookie. Now I can eat the entire package of cookies. And uh, it is so important to pick yourself straight away. So it's like, oh, okay, I ate a cookie. It wasn't planned. It wasn't really good for my diet. Okay, now I'm getting back on track and trying to do my best possible until the end of the day. And I found it also for myself and my diet now. 
the, one, to be one of the most important factors. For example, now I'm visiting my family and if my mom brings something home and it's lying on the table, I don't know, a piece of like delicious bread that usually doesn't fit into my macros, I get, you know, temp, uh, tired in the evening into Neanderthal mode, cut, cut a piece, start eating it. And usually after I eat half a piece, I'm like, okay, it wasn't planned. No problem. Just go back straight away. So I just, you know, stop eating it and, you know, just continue with my diet. And before I would have eaten several pieces of bread because I would be like, okay, I fucked it up anyway. Now it doesn't matter anymore. And I think that is also now why my diet is kind of so chilled. So, you know, even if I eat like a small piece of something that wasn't planned, you know, fuck it. Okay, just go back to your diet. Yeah, no, it's, I can really clearly identify, I can actually contrast this past year of mine to the one before that, where um, I messed up times and eventually I kind of ended up at a body composition that I wasn't very happy with, but I can really clearly look back and identify those couple of key points where I kind of screwed up and I wasn't able to make this quick turnaround. Like uh, I, I kind of fell into this all or nothing thinking where, yeah, I, j I just kind of got so frustrated that I almost felt like there is no point trying to be on point anymore because I already failed. I mean, obviously it doesn't play out like this, this rationally in your mind, but this is sort of the, that Neanderthal kind of uh, dialogue that goes on. Yes, 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 exactly. You know, for me, yes, there are some days when my Neanderthal is taking over when I'm tired or stressed, but the damage, you know, because I know I realize it, okay, Neanderthal is there. Okay. And now I need to do the right thing. Or even if I started snacking on something, okay, just put it down, leave the kitchen. That's it. You know, the damage I do, you know, it's so much smaller. You know, if I go over my macros, even like 50 calories a day because of the Neanderthal, or in the past, uh, I would do, I don't know, maybe 500 or 1,000 calories a day a few times a week because of it. You know, that's like a big, big difference. Yeah. And there was actually something, oh, again, something I wanted to say. Actually, again, the thing you mentioned with uh, having other obsessions, I think this mindset was just, oh, okay. I just made something wrong, just go back on track. It's something that makes you more relaxed about the entire process and less obsessed with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I often find that when you mess up a little bit, you just kind of have to make it through that day without doing anything stupid. Like it's almost like during the night, your mind kind of resets and you wake up the next day and it's like, okay, it's a fresh day and you don't even remember your mess up and you can just keep going as if nothing happened. Yes, yes, exactly. But the important thing is just if there's like a small mess up sometime during the day, not to continue with the, you know, huge mess up yeah, exactly. <laughs> for the rest of the day. And actually, I don't apply it only to my diet. You know, it can be also for anything in life, also like my, 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 my training or work. Like if I start a training session, I have planned squats and my squats feel like shit. Like squats are for me my most challenging lift. Bench press is amazing. Bench press is my absolutely favorite and best lift. It feels amazing most of the time. But squats is something I always struggled with. And then, you know, imagine I have like a really shitty squat session and then I just want, oh, I, I, you know, it's not worth it. I just want to go home. And then it's like, no, just pick yourself up, continue with your training, finish your training, and then you will go home. And usually if I pick myself up and other exercises, I can often even set personal records. Yeah. So it's just, you know, continue doing. Or the same with work. Okay, I wasn't maybe as productive as I wanted the first two hours. Then I'm disappointed. Okay, pick yourself up and now do everything as good as you can. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, no, I really like that one. And um, so, yeah, uh, all in all, like, uh, who would you recommend your book? Uh, well, what kind of people do, would you say would benefit from it the most? 
I think there is a wide range of people. Of course, people who struggle with overeating or especially like overeating bulimia uh, coming from the side of eating disorders or people who have in general problems staying on track because they engage into emotional eating when something stressful happens at work or at home or you know when, when, when they just lose control and eat too much when they're tired when they come home after a hard work day then people also who can't stay on track with their diet because of social occasions because you know they socialize they go out with friends and their friends are kind of the type of people that not necessarily care about their body composition. This is often the case for the clients I work with, that uh, their friends are just kind of normal people who just want to have fun drinking, eating, and so on. So okay, how am I going to behave? I still want to you know, socialize with my friends and reach my goal. So it's also something. Um, yeah, but basically also like for anyone who is interested in this topic and also wants to understand the own behavior why i eat something when i'm not hungry because i think almost everyone eats something from time to time when the person isn't hungry you know understand what are the driving forces and also getting the tools okay if you aren't okay with it if you want to change it then i will give the tools how you can do it because almost each chapter or like many of the chapters contain some you know questions or steps at the end of the chapter how you can apply it actually to your life yeah and and one thing um as you were speaking, I was thinking that maybe I could record this separately, but I'm just going to say it on air that um, per perhaps to me, like um, the, this concept that I mentioned previously, which is with every decision you do, you kind of shift your future reality towards one or another type of reality. I think that's that's so powerful because to me, it's not just it's not just the screw ups that can shift your reality towards a worse future because, or your future towards a worse reality, because you can, you could be doing, you could be on point in terms of hitting your macros, but if you're doing something that is really unsustainable, like for example, if you're constantly trying to fit in really palatable foods that you really have the urge to overeat on into your diet day to day, and every single day is just a mental battle that you have to fight with yourself, then you're, in my mind, you're not setting yourself up for success because yeah, you made it through this day and maybe tomorrow, but how long can you keep this up? So, and, and at the same time, you could be screwing up, like you could be going over your macros accidentally. For example, you could be mismeasuring something or something, but as long as your habits and systems are in place, you're still setting up yourself up for success in the long term. So something I wanted to mention. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. And you know, also it's important, you know, I have one of the chapters on this kind of feed forward cycle. So once you start eating, let's say, junk, and then it's much harder to get out of it. It becomes a habit. Okay, I messed up one day, then the next day, or I didn't go and train in the gym. I feel like shit. Okay, next day, I don't do it again. I feel even worse. And then it's even harder to get back on track. And you can use the same cycle for the opposite direction. Okay, I've done something that is really sustainable, that is good then it will be e even easier to do it the next day. I followed my diet, I trained. It will be easier to get uh, everything right the next day. And for me, I often even apply the strategy, for example, for training. If I'm not motivated to go to train, it's like, oh, you know, okay, if I skip training, then I will do it again after a while. Then it will become a habit. However, if I apply this feed-forward cycle strategy, once I'm in training, also a trick I often use, it's like, okay, I will just go there and do something that is super easy. You know, I, then, okay, I won't do this and this exercise I don't want to do now. I will replace it with something that is really easy. 
And uh, that makes the kind of burden lower to go to train. And then once I'm in the gym, everything just happens automatically. I start with an easy exercise. And then at the end, I just do my normal training program just because I'm in the flow. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I guess my, my final question to you is um, what, what are some of the things that you learned about productivity and kind of success in life <laughs> over the course of this past year and perhaps throughout the process of um, writing this book? Have you had some eye-opening kind of experiences like that? Productivity. I think you are the most productive when you are passionate about what you do. As I've already mentioned, like writing up is for me a pretty painful task. However, when I wrote down this book, I just sat down and everything, you know, the words came out automatically. It wasn't painful at all because I was passionate about this project. And, you know, even if you don't have like a job that makes you feel passionate, like you do, let's say a normal job, then find reasons why you do it that will make you passionate. Because like every job has, or every task we do has a reason. Someone benefits from it, you know. Maybe it's not the best thing or like not the dream job, I don't know, to go and clean the park. However, there are people who benefit from it, who want to sit on the lawn, who have like a really, you know, nice environment. And if you imagine how the work you do or what you do now benefits other people or benefits other family or like maybe your family members, maybe you need to go uh, shopping and just feel too tired and don't want to do it. Then imagine how happy your family will be after you use this food to cook for them a really delicious meal, you know, and it kind of shifts the entire perspective, makes you more motivated and then also makes you more productive. Right. Awesome. No, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's a great, great insight. And um, yeah, I can pretty much only agree. Just uh, found myself nodding my head as I was listening to that. So, um, so yeah, I think you dropped some really awesome uh, knowledge bombs here. And uh, yeah, just please mention where people can find your book and um, any kind of resources that you would like people to check out. Okay, thank you so much. Well, you can find the book uh, on my homepage, signstrengths.com, in the product section. So if you just go to products, the book is the first on the page. You can just uh, click the button and you will get um, the place where you can buy it. Then also you feel free to follow me on social media. Everything is science strengths, like science and strength. And um, also read all the articles I have on my homepage. I have a few YouTube videos on my YouTube channel, Science Strengths, that are also a lot of, about eating, but also building muscle, getting the body composition you want everything science-based and i think i'm sure you will put also a link to the book and to the um notes from the podcast maybe oh, yeah. or at least on youtube into the description definitely yeah yeah perfect well uh anastasia thank you so much for being on this was an absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me it was so much fun all right, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. And once again, if you haven't checked it out already, be sure to visit the Sustainable Self-Development Facebook group at facebook.com slash sustainable self-development. And if you haven't done it already, visit sustainableselfdevelopment.com to be up to date with everything that we've got going on there. All right, thank you for hanging on up until now and see you in the next episode.